Welcome to Data Myths Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Melinda Gagnon. So, a little about us. I'm interested in how tech helps us improve our lives. I have 20 years experience in digital communications. I'm an ex-Googler and now help launch new companies and products. And I've spent 20 plus years evangelizing tech at some of the world's largest companies. Whether you're a datafile or a dataphobe, we have something for you on this podcast. So get ready. Let's go. Hey, good morning, Brian. How's it going? It's going great. It's a sunny, beautiful morning and excited to talk with you about something that's actually kind of new for us on the podcast. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about audio, which is kind of interesting. You know, it, it's sort of old school. So, well, it's, it's, and I shouldn't say we've, we haven't talked about audio on the podcast. I mean, we, we are a podcast after all, we're all about audio. We've talked about the fact that audio is becoming a much more popular format for content distribution because of, you know, people on their mobile devices and having access to, to lots of data. So that, that's something we've totally talked about, but we're going to talk about actually how audio came to be and what's happening today, given our, our history in audio. Is that right? Yeah, no. And that's right. And if you think about it, actually, these microphones that we're talking into, electro voice microphones, they're, they're probably 60 year old technology or better, right? And they sort of have been the voice of audio and, uh, and listening for quite a long time. So that's kind of interesting that there's such history in the market. Yeah, it is. And when you think about how communications first started, I mean, it's, it's audio. I mean, obviously we were sitting around radios before we had TV, um, any kind of communications when it came to the most critical applications of communication, uh, fortunately, I should say, unfortunately being war, conflict, right? I mean, radios, needing that to be reliable, that, that's one of the uses that has pushed innovation along. And, and that's an application where we see some of the most advanced audio type of, of techniques happening. Yeah. And so, and it's interesting. And so if we rewind the clock, let's go on a bit of a journey. And I do want to get to the point where we talk about data, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about sort of the lead up on audio and how we're really thinking about it and sort of framing the discussion. So if we rewind the clock, the phonograph by Thomas Edison, I almost said Thomas Jefferson, that's a different guy. Uh, that's his younger brother. Maybe that was his hobby. Who knows? <laughs> Lesser known facts. Exactly. But so Thomas Edison, about 141 years ago, invented the phonograph. Two needles, one for recording, one for listening, and that really revolutionized listening to audio as we know it today. And then as we sort of take that journey, you know, a number of different developments, you you brought up wartime and, and things like that, uh, all of a sudden these expensive and, you know, harder to get devices start to show up in everybody's parlor and folks start to listen to music. Well, then World War I happens, and then World War II happens. Now, all of a sudden, people are listening to radio shows. And 
It's kind of interesting because as I thought about this podcast, it's sort of a little bit about has audio have, have audio files over time, have they sort of died off, right? And this debate has happened for a very long time. And so when AM radio came about, a lot of people that got used to listening to music on the phonograph were like, oh, the radio is terrible. Like actually listening to AM radio, it's low fidelity. It's not, you know, it's lossy. It's up and it's down. It doesn't have good sound Lossy meaning it doesn't maintain the fidelity of sound, the true quality of sound. Yeah. And if you, and so if you think about it, right, something has to give. And so when you think about the listening range of the human ear, it could be, you know, it's, it's 20 kilohertz up to 20,000 kilohertz or, or more. Um, well, and, and I don't want to fast forward too far here, but just tidbit there on the human ear that innovations that are happening today in 2019, they're actually scanning individual human ears to maximize the sound that's being pumped into someone's head. So it's wow. really fascinating what, yeah, what's, what's happening. But so, so to come back to, okay, where, where we've been. So we have kind of two ways of thinking about audio for, if, if we're backtracking it, there's the utilitarian application of, of audio, right? How we've shared information. And then there's the enjoyment of audio, and tastes and and vehicles of of enjoying audio, right? Right. So if we think about the utilitarian side of it, you talked a little bit about the phonograph and and how that's kind of the early days of enjoying audio. Is ham radio, is that really one of the the early days? I mean, we're we we're both ham radio uh certified and and you know have have had fun doing that and talking to people all over the world. So that's good times. I mean, how did that all start? And how did that really transform how people communicated? You know, and I think that's a really interesting concept to to talk through, right? And as you think about radio, and we could probably do a whole podcast just on radio alone and where that's sort of evolved and how data is infiltrating radio as, as we think about it. Uh, but yeah, so as we sort of like continue down that path and that journey, people got really interested about sending radio signals and being a broadcaster. And it didn't take very long before people were building amateur radio rigs so that they could communicate. And there wasn't cell phones, telephone wasn't everywhere. Uh, so it it was interesting. And so people started building their own amateur radio products and projects. And like anything in the laws of scarcity, um, frequency seemed to be never ending. So there really wasn't a whole lot of regulation early on. But as time went on, stuff started to get crowded. And so then the FCC and whatever it was called before that uh, started to regulate some of some of the airwaves, so to speak. And so ham radio was huge. And a lot of that came from the war and passing messages along and uh, listening in to, you know, radio networks and, and things like that. So, you know, 
the the war efforts kind of drove a lot of that interest uh, and some of the necessity out of that as well. So that's uh, that's kind of that. And then in the 1950s, FM started to come in play. So frequency modulation. Uh, and if you think about it, not everybody probably knows all the concepts, but AM is amplitude modulation. So that means when I talk louder or when I, all the different tones in my voice and the words that get said, that means that the wave, so to speak, gets taller or shorter to pass on the information. Frequency modulation changes the distance between the waves to get that same signal across. So by the very nature of it, it actually has a little bit better fidelity uh, because it's able to really get that signal across much easier. So there's a lot more you know, lossiness and interference with the AM band. So people then once again started to complain, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to AM radio. If I'm listening to music, I'm going to listen to FM. And that's why even today, if you go and you look and do a survey of who is broadcasting on AM, it's a lot of spoken word. It's a lot of talk radio. It's a lot of talk shows, you know, like Wobegone kind of stuff. So we've talked a little bit about AM radio, FM radio. So now when we think about how are people curating their own audio collections. So we have the phonograph and then we start having records, right? Yeah. So we we quickly move to records and we quickly move to sort of having those libraries. And when you think about and the reason for that is many people were like, oh, well, AM is not that reliable. It's sort of up and it's down. The audio quality is so much better. So I'm going to build up a library that I could listen to anytime I want. And that's that's where these huge record libraries started to get built. And same thing happened with you know the record player all the way into eight tracks and tape and then CD and DVD. Um And so if we sort of think about that journey, all along the way, we were focused on or started to really focus on building these collections of music. And it was really centered around being able to listen to what you wanted when you wanted at a higher fidelity. And so people would build these home systems that had speakers and woofers and tweeters and, uh, you know, combiners and tape decks and all of that stuff. And that's like what I grew up with. You know, my, my parents had all of those things and that's just, that was in my culture and what I remember. It's why we have, you know, I think you said, Hey, why do we have these big bulky speakers in the living room? Well, to me, it's like, okay, well that is like high fidelity. It sounds way better than Alexa, the Alexa speaker ever would sound. Uh, So that's sort of where, that journey sort of went. And so the high fidelity crowd audio files really started to get born and they were a lot more focused on kind of the, the quality of the audio versus the uh, transportability and convenience uh, per se and, and cost as well. So that's, uh, that's sort of the journey a little bit to kind of advance it a little more, but this, there's always been this push and pull on portability and cost over clarity and fidelity. So it's just, it's really interesting. 
so yeah, I mean, vinyl was, was always that go-to source for, for music. And then really, as you said, that, that convenience factor, that portability factor came in and, and the first, the first contender really to disrupt the vinyl space was in 1962 when the Philips cassette was released. So, you know, now you have these abilities to rewind, fast forward, pause, stop, all, all of those things that we can all remember about cassettes. And it was a much easier uh, package to, to carry around, of course, than a, a fragile record. And the best part about that is if you go back and look at sort of the history of time of audio, people, once again, the audio files were like, nope, cassettes that doesn't have the same audio quality as listening to an LP record. And so it's sort of been this push and pull over the course of time with audio. And it's just, that's really interesting to me. Um, And then I remember, I remember when MP3s started to come in, people were like, oh no, you don't listen to MP3s if you really care about audio quality. Yeah, you need your CD. And and that was you know, that was the next step, obviously, past the the cassette tape is the CD came about. And and that was really in the mid-70s. And it took a while for for the CD to really displace vinyl. And and it wasn't until 1988 that CD sales finally outnumbered vinyl sales, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It seems kind of late. Yeah. What was the first... CD that you ever bought? <laughs> My first CD was uh, the first a Green Day album. Wow. Yeah. And I still know every song on that album because I played it over and over and over again. That's that's interesting. Do you want to know mine? I'm of almost, course. I'm almost embarrassed. Okay. I got to hear it. I think it was Paula Abdul. You think? You don't know? Yeah. It was either that or Millie Vanilli, which was hot at the time. And then I remember my dad being Those are both like, really hip. Hey, so they this whole scandal came out that they lip synced. And <laughs> so the record company tried to buy back all the CDs. And my dad, I remember he was like, Oh no, we're not we're not letting him buy this back. This is gonna be a collector's item someday. So I'm I'm gonna check eBay after this and see. That's so hilarious that they're buying back CDs. Can you imagine that happening today? I mean, no. are you kidding? No. So <laughs> let's let's get back on track. We we got in the way back machine uh, once yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So as we sort of like take that forward, now we've got these big bulky systems. People started building speakers and you know really focused on how do I make awesome sound? How do I make loud sound? So you know there was when I was growing up, if you didn't have like a big set of speakers and you know, a big subwoofer and things like that. You weren't on the in, you weren't in the in crowd. Oh yeah. I remember shopping for my, you know, college room dorm. And I mean, I I didn't have lots of cash to throw around on audio equipment, but I remember looking for those, like, you know, those bundled like component systems, right? So you could kind of spread the speakers out and looking for the biggest, baddest thing that I could find. That was a package deal. Yeah. And I was, I was the opposite. (laughs) I was like, how do I get each and every individual component? Because I want each one to be absolutely the best. And I'm going to shop for a tweeter and I'm going to shop for a mid-range and then a subwoofer and then a cassette deck that's the best. And there was none of this like all in one. Well, I think you had a better job than me in college. I mean, possibly, <laughs> yeah. I did work at the uh, computer 
computer sales. I was a lifeguard, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> hence my music choice. It's okay. Music our paths, choice. Our paths came together <laughs> here, so we're good. So anyhow, so you know, really, as we as we sort of like talk this through, right? All of these systems started to kind of get built out, and it became a rite of passage you know, to be moving heavy audio equipment in and out of, you know, your dorm room or your apartment or whatever. And so it kind of, it built almost a culture. And, you know, when you're moving in, well, what's the first thing you do? Hey, I want some tunes. So you carry the big heavy speakers up, all kinds of, you know, uh, spaghetti nest of wires. You sort those out, you get it all plugged in and you get some, some, you know, and a bit of this going. culture is still in our living room. <laughs> it, it is. There's a bit <laughs> of a museum in our house. but Got to um, appreciate it. And so that really kind of became a, a culture piece of having these stereo systems. And I think, you know, as the laptop got better, as desktop computing got better, as speakers, uh, we made... Uh, basically compromise and speakers got smaller in some cases, uh, people started saying, hey, you know what? I'm just going to bring my laptop up and and set that up and like play that. And so they kind of said, F, the, F the, the big system. And they traded the, the portability for audio quality. And then they did it again because now the iPod came out. And it's like now we're listening to MP3s or, or whatever. Um, now I'm going to use the iPod because that's a smaller form factor and I'll just plug it into a mediocre speaker and away we go. Remember the iPod shuffle? Oh yeah. The smallest, you know, and, and I would actually enjoy an iPod shuffle right now. We still have one. Do we? Oh yeah. I hope I didn't throw that away. It's so no, you, cute. You didn't. I, I like to keep old technology. It's like a little technology museum that we have in our closet. But but that's a nice form factor to carry around because phones are so big now, it's a pain. Well, and so now, fast forward, well, I don't want to keep two devices. I don't want to have an iPod, which is for listening to music, and a phone. That seems really inconvenient. So let's just fusion those together. And now we're back to what you just said, which is now I have a big bulky phone I don't want to carry everywhere. So now we put it in a watch or whatever else. So I think next is going to be like, let's implant stuff into our ears. But Bingo. That, that's, that's, that's going to happen. Let's... Um, With the wireless headsets. Yes. Yeah. So let's... But let's really like center. I want to get back to high fidelity and fidelity and is high fidelity audio sort of dead in a digital world, right? And so we're moving ahead. MP3s come out. You know, the audio files once again say, oh, that's not as good a quality. We're now at the point where we are kind of curating collections differently because it's just so much easier to have a huge music collection uh, in the MP3 world. But now, like, we're not even doing that because... We're now looking at streaming sources, uh, Napster and all that happened. So people stopped collecting illegal MP3s, I guess, uh, and then kind of went to the paid streaming. I know this is a realm you probably know a lot more about than I do. Talk, talk a little bit about that and where we went in the uh, streaming days. Well, I mean, it, with streaming, you know, when you ask the question about is, is Hi-Fi dead? I mean, that's, there are streaming services today two of which Tidal and Cobuzz. So Tidal is, 
is the the company that Jay-Z is, is heavily invested in. CoBuzz is a, is a French streaming service. They have um, high fidelity uh, access to, to music files. Not all of the songs can be accessed that way. So that is of interest. Now, those two streaming services in the realm of popular services are really small, but, but it exists and you pay a premium for them. Like title, if you want the high quality and they call it high res. So, um, but that's $20 a month. So, you know, you ha- it has to mean something to you and everything else is 10 bucks a month. So is it dead? I mean, I, I, it's there in current listening trends, but it's certainly not popular. Well, and so let's really fast forward. So we kind of took 20 minutes or so to just talk through the audio over the the ages. But now let's talk a little bit more meaningfully about the last maybe five to 10 years. So in the last five to 10 years, the iPod, the iPhone, all of those different players, we even had a Zoom in there at some point from, from Microsoft. Nice try, guys. Um, but all of these different listening devices and audio listening as far as the speakers are concerned, you know, have gotten smaller. They've gotten more of them. So, you know, we've gone from 5.1 audio where you've got a center channel and two surrounds, two forwards, and, you know, that's and, and a subwoofer, you know, that's 5.1. I think they, they are to like 9.1 now or maybe 7.1. So And and when you are thinking about how you're designing any kind of home audio system today too. It's really interesting now that it's really whole home audio, like Sonos, for example, you know, early, early player in the day and, and they're still innovating rapidly. They're integrating with Alexa and then all these, you know, home automation speakers and services. So the cool thing about Sonos is, you know, it's plumbed through your entire home you can access it all with an app and decide which rooms you turn on or turn off. And you can access any of your music streaming services from that. Well, and so I think why they really got out in front is they have really focused on providing high quality sound to a lot of different rooms or, you know, the multi-room segment. Before, that was really, really a challenge. You know, there are companies like Marantz and uh, Boston Acoustics and, and others that they would build these systems that, you know, they all talked about how many watts per channel they could, you know, put to each speaker. Uh, but they built these really large uh basically amplifiers for whole home systems. And it was really complicated. And really expensive. Because you had to run wires everywhere. Right, right. I mean, that that's something that if you had home, home audio before, you know, these wireless solutions came out, you were, yeah, like you said, essentially wiring that in with your, you know, with your new home. Right. That That's an expensive, complicated endeavor. So not many people are going to do that. Well, and if you think about it, the early Sonos systems didn't, they, they had to be wired. They had to be plugged in, right? And many of them, you had to also plug into like another source that actually amplified the sound out to a speaker, right? And then they started to come out with speakers that had it all integrated. That really started to change things. And so now fast forward, it's 2019 
they've got seven more years, six more years on their patent. I think their patent runs out in 2026. And so they're under huge competitive siege because of things like Alexa and things like Microsoft or Google Assistant where, hey, that sounds pretty good. Alexa, play me Jay-Z, you know? And then you just listen on that because it's just so convenient and it might not have the same audio quality, um, but it's it's mainly convenience. So that's that's interesting. And this whole wireless trend, I mean, this is continues to be one of the big innovations that we see, in, including this year. And we all know about, of course, you know, when when Apple pulled the the uh, headphone jack from the iPhone before, you know, really kind of disturbed by this and and with the advent of the the AirPods, but it is becoming much more commonplace to have these wireless earbuds and the sound quality now makes those products desirable when they they really weren't before. Well, that's an interesting thought too, because when I was at CES this year, I went over to the Audio-Technica booth. We both have Audio-Technica monitor headphones for this podcast. And it's it's interesting because I asked the guy, hey, what's coming out new? And he said, those very headphones that you're recording me on right now, that's coming out in a wireless form factor. And here it is. And I said, oh, that's great. I would love to switch over to those. And his answer to me was, well what you've got will probably actually be better for for what you're doing and monitoring and really having to hear every ounce of, uh, of fidelity of that audio source. Um, but the Bluetooth ones are really great because they're really portable and convenient. I'm guessing that probably the next time I buy some headphones, they very well might be those wireless ones and I might not miss that little bit of audio quality difference. Yeah, absolutely. And And if you're recording on the go... And we had this experience running around CES and we did have our, you know, tethered headsets because that's just, you know, what, what we had to use. But then it totally makes sense to have two sets. You know, you have your high quality set for your studio or home use, and then you have your wireless set for, for traveling it on the go. And, and that's, that's what people are doing. I mean, it, that, that convenience, if they really don't want to sacrifice the quality, you're just gonna, you might just duplicate, you know, and, or you don't, you don't care and you can just have the wireless version. Well, here's an interesting parallel to that. And this could probably be a whole separate podcast, which is same thing as having to cameras as well, right? Probably about the same, uh, you know, longevity in the market, but we've got a DSLR. I rarely pull that out because I'm worried about breaking the darn thing. It's so expensive, but you know, oh, hey, let me just use my iPhone because I carry that with me everywhere. And so that same similar thing happens. Do we get to the point where, hey, it's just more convenient to have the wireless headset and skip the wire altogether? Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And and an, another interesting thing when we're, when we're looking at trends with audio right now, uh, we saw some cool things at CES with this idea of, of 360 degree audio. So, um, 
in 2018, there was uh, first some, you know, talk about this and creative released this platform called Super XFi that could basically replicate a soundstage. And it's like this surround sound system that's actually in a pair of over-ear headphones. So that that's when we kind of first started to see this. And essentially what we saw this last year at CES with Sony, it announced their 360 reality audio. And it's something very similar. So it's that that same kind of immersive sound experience and it's through, you know, through a headset and, and they, you know, support that quote unquote high res audio platform like Tidal and Cobuzz that I mentioned before. So, you know, these are, are pretty interesting advances that really change how we, we hear music. And, and I don't want to say just like, it's, it's actually the science of how we're, how we're hearing it, which is really interesting. Well, and I think the other interesting piece to this is if you look at the home audio market, it has dropped off a cliff, actually. So the the mid-market is, like, gone. The high-end market has really, like, stagnated and, and you know, declined. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with, I think, folks just settling, in some cases, for portable, okay-sounding audio. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this, um, innovation by Sony, you know, it, it is within headset and it also can be through speakers and it's really challenging that whole, you know, you're talking about the home entertainment system of, of old, you know, it's, it's taking that idea of, you know, stereo and these are, are 24 channels, right. That that's kind of the, around this 360 kind of, kind of idea. So, you know, this might be something that, give some juice to that, that industry. So, I mean, we'll have to see. It's, it's really early, obviously, when you see something related at CES, that, that doesn't mean it's gonna, gonna, you know, create huge waves in the marketplace, even maybe even in that year, but, but it's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah. And so, and then I think about, if you really rewind it back, you think about beats, right. Or even bows for that matter. The, the old joke with bows always used to be no highs, no lows, it must be bows, uh, because they made design sacrifices. And I'm sure some Bose engineer that's listening to this is probably, you know, sticking a needle in a Brian Voodoo doll right now, but um, that's okay. Uh, but basically, they made design sacrifices to get to form factors or listening capabilities. And that happens, right? Design happens. And you know, compromises made. And let's face it, Bose has made some really cool innovations over the years. However, you get to like Beats, which are really popular now and bought by Apple. Um, their audio quality, in my opinion, is not that solid. They don't get really that great reviews from true audiophiles, people that, you know, really know what they're listening for. They just had, you know, added a ton of bass and, you know, it, it isn't a good balanced sound. So it's it's interesting of how the trends in the market have kind of eclipsed. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and another another interesting thing, you know, that that we're seeing in the space right now with with audio, some really cool innovation on actually recording audio too. And 
what Nokia has has developed in particular is this way of recording spatial audio. So when you're using your phone's camera and, and the phone's microphone, you can basically enhance sounds that are coming from certain directions. And the noise from outside the video frame is suppressed. So that's such a huge advancement in just how the everyday person can record audio, you know, within their, their videos particularly. And, you know, he's another part of, of this, you know, technology with Nokia that they're explaining is when you play back that sound on headphones, you actually hear the sounds in the direction that they originally came from. So this is like, a really interesting concept. You, you know, think about how that could be applied to gaming, to just experiencing sound in a very different way, a very real way. So, you know, we have these two different concepts. You have this immersive surround sound thing, and now you have this directional sound. So this is getting to be a very, um, to say high quality doesn't cut it. It's just this very realistic sound experience that we're going to start seeing. Well, and the interesting part is that stuff has been about for a long time and it involved really expensive high-end recording equipment to be able to capture that directional sound and, and put it in a, a sound stage that made sense to a listener. Is this what we see in like spy movies when someone's in the bushes with like their little, you know, antenna with the dish behind that's, it looking for the that's sound. that's a little different that's <laughs> no i mean that's a directional microphone like so you know that would be a shotgun mic so to speak and it, very focused uh very directional um you know and then you've got something not quite like, the nokia phone is that what you're saying well no <laughs> and so where i'm going with that is you need many microphones to capture direction and so that technology was tough because you had many different tracks and then you had to make sense of that directionally. And so things like Alexa, things like podcasting, they've really actually driven microphone technology. Um, same with iPhones or same with phones. Uh, I hate to keep saying iPhones. Uh, most of the other phone technology out there is probably uh, more advanced than an iPhone at this point. But you look at podcasts, for instance, I bet if you went and looked at Electra Voice uh, microphone sales, they probably picked up tremendously over the last 10 years. And it's not because more people are, you know, making an FM station. It's because of podcasting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when when we're also thinking about how we're, we're starting to uh, share and socialize this, you know, audio content, that's another huge thing with streaming services. And I, I absolutely want to dive into that in much more depth in another podcast of what's happening in the world of, of music streaming. But social sharing is also a huge feature. And this is so different than the way we've been able to share music in the past and, and I should say music, but any kind of audio information. So, you know, Spotify is one of the best, you know, that you can collaborate on playlists, you can share recommendations, all of that. So it's a very different, not only format, but a very different consumption and sharing experience. 
Well, and, and to think about it, I'm just sort of drawing a little bit of a correlation here. So when we got into podcasting, I did a lot of reading and I listened to a ton of podcasts. And really quickly, you could hear the difference in audio between a good podcast and a bad one. And so that was interesting to me. But then as I started to research of like best practices and all that, people were making recommendations that were really focused on audio quality. So in a way, we're going back to audio quality again and people caring about it because they are hearing the difference between a really bad podcast audio quality wise and a really good one. And they're deciding with numbers, Hey, I want to, I want to really focus on making a, the best quality audio I possibly can. And so it kind of becomes competitive in that nature to compete for listeners. And so people are doing everything they can to sound like a professional, you know, studio and recording booth. So that's, that's interesting to me. And, and we talked in our podcast about podcasts and there are like, you know, 700,000 podcasts now. And, and you're right. I mean, when the, when the genre is new and there are fewer people in the space, the bar is low on that quality level. And, you know, there also can be a certain, I'll give it charm, right. To have something that's maybe a little, a little raw, a little unpolished, but it's also sometimes really tough to listen to. I mean, I've I've been listening to podcasts where I have one person who is is you know has a has a good sound, a, a level volume, and then the next person who speaks, I can't hear them. I have to turn you know turn my volume up, and then I get blasted when the first person comes back on. And it's just impossible to listen to. And first of all, I just wonder like why would you ever publish that podcast? It's it's really impossible to listen to. Um, but that's something that is really going to just leave that show behind. Well, and I think one of the interesting parts about it is if you go back and you look at a really popular show that has been publishing for, you know, since maybe 2007 and you listen to their audio quality, I going to bet that their audio quality wasn't nearly as good as it is today and my argument is that as you are in the search of more listeners and you know creating more interest and differentiation amongst a bigger sea of folks trying to do the same thing you start to focus on things like quality a heck of a lot more than when you're doing your AM broadcast yeah. Well, yeah, it's the fine tuning and the format allows it. I mean, I guess one question that I have with that whole trend is, well, back then, did they just not need to? So they didn't, or could they not accomplish that because of technical limitations? Well, I think it's dollars and cents, right? And I think it's ease. You know, it was, it probably was, Hey, no one else is doing this today. Who am I competing against? Well, I'm competing against the Howard Stern show or Imus in the morning or whatever other shows were out there that people were listening to on the radio or even satellite radio. And so now I'm going to start doing a podcast. It's a really different format. I'm going to just record it with the microphone I've got, which might not be that good. And voila, I got listeners. People are interested in it because it's a different format and they could listen to it when they want to listen to it. And so it becomes that portability piece. But then 
as the market starts to saturate, it quickly becomes, hey, the the bar is that if you've got all kinds of wonky audio sounds, if you have you know disparity in uh, the different tracks and and people talking and the volumes are different, different that's distracting, and I think people's tolerance is fairly low as there's choice, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, in that podcast that I was giving the example of, I like really was super interested in the subject matter and I tried to listen to it for so long and yeah, and I just couldn't. So, you know, and, and there is a lot that goes into making that sound really high quality. I mean, as, as you know, you're the, you're the, the sound engineer for, for this podcast and you know, anyone who is recording can appreciate that complexity. And then in terms of, you know, being, being a listener, I think there certainly is an awareness of, of what, what they're looking for. And I, I think the trend is going to increase in terms of, of, you know, the quality that, that people are going to, to look for. Well, and if we compare this to AM versus FM, right, people would listen on AM. But when FM came about, there was a pretty massive switch to people moving to FM, any place that there was an FM you know, broadcaster around. And I think as, as the space gets more crowded, people tend to do whatever they can to differentiate. It's why we've got, I mean, we have a fairly expensive setup and mainly because not, not because we have huge followings. I mean, we've got maybe 2000 listeners a month at this point, which is great for five or six months in, but it's, if we had a huge following, I feel like we would need to have the same quality. We just chose to take quality off the table and try to produce the best sounding thing right out of the gate. But that's, that was our choice. Yeah. Yeah, and I think another nod to this this trend that I that I think we'll keep seeing is people seeking out higher quality audio is the the vinyl revival. So you know, no, this actually isn't a, a hipster thing anymore. Uh, after vinyl declining for decades, actually in 2017 was the highest number of vinyl sold since 1991, and in 2016 it reached a 25 year high. So this is a significant trend and it's something that we could keep seeing, which will be interesting to keep an eye on. Well, you mentioned hipsters and I am pretty happy that, uh, that they helped revive yeah. one of my favorite beers. Yeah, so, you go. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, we're, we're kind of shaping up and we've got to sort of start to wrap it up a little bit. So I think, you know, in, in, in closing and sort of to come to the conclusion, I think audio has, change so much from the beginning of time to where we are today. I think in the next year or two, we're going to see a ton more change as voice search and voice capabilities of things like Alexa and Google Assistant and whatever Microsoft's offering is. I think we're going to see a lot of change there. You know, is there anything you'd like to kind of cap off on? I'm excited for the day that I'm walking around in my 360 degree audio headset. And I don't even know what that means, but I'm really pretty excited to to see you doing that as well. And 
You know, I think this is going to spawn a lot more discussion. I don't think we talked as much about streaming as we wanted to in this podcast. Oh, we're going to have a streaming podcast dedicated to music streaming. It'll be awesome. Well, and I think we need to, right? Because some major change in the market has happened with yeah. Apple iTunes and, and such. With but, Pandora and Sirius. Oh yeah, there's there's lots. Yeah. So let's wrap it up and, you know, thank you for uh, for debating us and talking through uh, the history of audio with me. Thank you, Brian. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is sponsored by Uprise Partners. Uprise launches startups and evolves established companies. Check it out at www.uprisepartners.com. Please like, subscribe, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout if you have a great idea that you want us to include. Just email us at hello at datamyths.com. Catch you next time.